Welcome to the Naturopathic Life and Living Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Francis, where I'm going to be talking about all kinds of things underneath the sun, everything that has to do with life, living, and your healthcare. So today I'm going to continue on with the episode that I had weeks ago that was talking about controls, fear, and cultural remediation going global. So to recap, basically I was talking about controls where in an interpreter situation, at least a sign language interpreter, I interpret for the deaf. So while in school, they learn about a concept called controls, which essentially is being in a situation and then something happens that you need to be able to make a decision about how to respond so that way you can keep control of the situation. The only thing is, is that anything that you do could end up and actually does end up having another thing happen after it. So anything that you do has a consequence that then could result in another control situation. So in an interpreting situation, it could be something like the way that you choose to stand and then there's sunlight in your face and then can't see the person who you need to understand what their sign movements are. So you would have to move where you are, which could cause a different situation. So, you know, that's one example and that essentially a control is just something that happens that you have to respond to to be able to move on in your day or however you want to think about that. And so I did a lot of referencing to the control panel and gears and noticing that the problem isn't actually a gear that is a problem. If you have a machine where a gear gets loose and comes off, but the problem is actually something that happened prior to getting to that gear and that system, but the gear was susceptible to whatever the issue was. So the gear was the weakest link that caused that whole entire system to fail because something was happening prior to the position of the gear that made the system dysfunction in the first place, which ended up resulting in a problem, which is something that happens in our bodies as well, because something could happen and then there's a dysfunction that creates a problem that you're not aware that there's a problem until it reaches the weakest link, until it it reaches that susceptibility, that particular organ that isn't optimized or fully supported or something like that. And then there's a dysfunction or a dis-ease, a disease in that area, like your stomach or your liver or your pancreas or muscles or whatever area that is compromised in you. So it seems like that's what the problem is when actually the problem is something that happened before that, which ended up generating a problem in that end organ. The next concept that I talk about was fear, which is essentially a recognition of a problem without knowing how to resolve the problem, okay? And then when I talked about cultural remediation, which in an interpreting situation, as an interpreter, we have to make sure that the message from one client is being accurately represented to the second client. A lot of the problems that come up with cross-cultural communication is the difference of understanding of what certain words and concepts are. Because if you think about everything in life as a wagon wheel and the concept that you're thinking about is the hub in the center and every spoke is a dividing line between that area and the next area kind of like if you take a pie and you slice it up and every slice of the pie is like another concept another field another culture another language something like that if it's a wagon wheel kind of concept then the two spokes would be like the slice marks of the knife when cutting a piece out of the pie and then each of those air gap spaces in your wheel is going to be another one of those dividers so another one of those divisions. So another field, another concept, another language. Everybody that would be standing in that space is looking at the hub in the center and they have a different perspective from some other group of people standing in a different slice of that pie in a different section of that wheel looking at the same concept. It's it's like a similar kind of concept of the blind men that were confronted with an elephant. So there are different men standing around an elephant and they're blind so they can't literally visually see it. So they're reaching out with their hands and one of them is at the tail, one of them is at the tusk, one of 
them is at the side. One of them is at the ear, for example. And so every single one of them has their own experience of what an elephant is, which is completely different than the experience of one of the other ones because they have a very limited perspective of what they're experiencing. And so that's the same kind of concept of all the little spaces between the spokes of a wheel and they're looking at the hub in the center. So everybody collectively is able to see what that thing is in the center of the hub. So whatever this concept is, everybody can see it. But because most people have such limited perspectives because they can only see what's in front of their face, essentially, depending on how big of a step you take back to be able to get in more of the big picture will make a difference. However, collectively, each little slice of that pie or each little triangular space of the wagon wheel, depending on whichever example that you're utilizing to make sense out of what I'm talking about, all of those people in general probably have the same kind of concept of what they're looking at because they're all looking at it from the same perspective. That's all the same culture with the same language and the same understanding of what those words mean because words are just symbols representative of concepts and everybody has the same concepts in general, but they're not all expressed the same way cross-culturally. And so to go back to the cultural remediation, that's basically just something that's necessary when in an interpreting situation because you're expressing concepts through a communication mechanism, which is just symbolic of that concept. And those languages are culturally based. So somebody standing in a different perspective, looking at whatever's in the hub is going to see it a different way than somebody that's standing in a different area from a different perspective. It makes a lot of sense that people from different cultures and different countries who speak different languages are going to see the same exact concept in a completely different way than somebody that is not from their culture. So to make sure that the message is clearly understood with the correct intentions, it's necessary to have an interpreter be able to express and understand both of those languages, both of those cultures, both of those perspectives, so that way they can utilize the language of the person that's listening in the way that they understand what that concept means. So cultural remediation, being able to use a different media to be able to express certain concepts. So the media in this case would be language. And so that's that's pretty much what I talked about last time. So wow, yeah, huge, huge recap. So now that everybody's on the same page, in case you didn't catch last episode. Okay, so now for today, I'm going to be talking about cultural remediation for a little bit. So like I said before, I went to interpreter training school because my son is deaf. And rather than making excuses for not being able to know how to communicate with him or feeling like I was inadequate as a parent or anything like that, I went to interpreter training school. I mean, I, I started going to school to learn sign language and then eventually went into an interpreter training program because my kid, my responsibility, my job, and if the way he needed to be able to learn and to be able to communicate was through sign language, I needed to be able to know how to be able to meet his needs appropriately. And again, for interpreters, one of the things that they teach is cultural remediation because when you're in an interpreting situation, especially with the deaf, because you're going from a hearing to a non-hearing, you're communicating between completely different cultures that have different perspectives perspectives and different ways that they view things, think about things, and utilize words differently as the symbols to represent the concepts that they're intending to share with people when they communicate with each other. Essentially, the words they use mean different things than what the other group believes they mean. You're communicating between culture, within culture, okay? So you're, you're blending the two cultures so that way the understanding of what one person is intending is received with the same meaning, with the same intention as it was given, okay? So different 
communities, different cultures, like those different schools that I've taught at and discussed in last episode. They have different sets of expectations and meanings about what's happening. So they witness something and they would say it in a different way than somebody else would because their understanding of the words that they use are different because it just evolved differently. And so a lot of times when interpreting for people within hearing and deaf communities, the cultural understanding needs to be addressed as well because something one person says can be very offensive to what the other person hears if they don't understand the perspective of what that's supposed to mean. And certain things are understood in one culture, like certain things are understood in the deaf community that aren't understood in a hearing community. For example, the schools, there are things like commonly known acronyms and things like that would have to be explained. You can't just use the initials for something like ISD or like the name of uh, a school. You can't just use the initials. I mean, even in people that can hear, if I said MSU, which school am I talking about, right? Well, you could assume that it's a school. You could assume that it's some state university, but do you know which state it is? I mean, how many different states start with an M and how many different state universities of those different states that start with M use the initials MSU for their state university? I went to a school called MSU, but do you know which school it was? Maybe, maybe not. If you were part of a community that I grew up in, then you would know which one it is. If you were a part of a different community that I didn't grow up in, but you grew up in a community that has an MSU, you would assume that I went to your MSU, even though maybe I didn't, right? So cultural remediation is necessary. You got to be able to say, oh, hold on a second. In your culture, it means this, but in the way that I grew up, it means this. By going through this program, I was exposed to a whole nother culture that if my son wasn't deaf, I never really would have had this kind of enlightenment with. Quite honestly, whenever you're in a different culture, you have a different perspective than a different culture. And granted, I'm not deaf, but I had to be the one who brought my son into the deaf culture to be able to give him that exposure because that is a culture that he was born into. Even though he's my child, I'm not really a part of it. I'm an advocate for him, definitely. And because I can understand a perspective as best I can from being not deaf and being exposed to different types of oppressions and understand through him what he needs, I can associate as much as possible to that perspective. I'm capable of seeing a way of understanding from both sides. In the interpreter situation, they call it bi-bi. So that's bilingual and bicultural, which is how you should be interpreting. You need to be able to not only understand the language, but understand the culture. So that way, the right meaning gets presented through what you're saying to the other person. So that way, it truly is representative accurately of the message, not specifically using words because words are just linguistic and because words don't mean the same thing to everybody because they're changed by culture, which is where we run into problems. When you have different cultures communicating and anybody in any aspect of a minority understands this concept because they're subjected to the crap of it. And when I when I talk about minorities, I wish people would say the minority of power because that's exactly what it is. The amount of people are not in a minority. It's that they don't have the controlling power of the culture that they're in and it doesn't make a difference. It's not like a certain type of person per se or a certain group of people. It depends on where you are. So it's directly correlative to wherever you are. So it's the power and control in that subgroup or in that specific location and then whoever's there. Like for example, I grew up and went to the Detroit public schools for part of the time. Being a blonde haired, blue eyed, extremely pale, white skinned child was definitely in the minority at my school. Definitely in the minority. What a lot of people that hear don't understand because it's not anything they've ever been exposed to, but it is a result of the evolution of deaf culture is that the majority of deaf children are born to parents that can hear. So 90% of deaf children are born to hearing parents. But a lot of those hearing parents, especially in the past, didn't understand how to communicate with their child. They didn't have the 
the language. They didn't have the skills. And sign language, ASL, American Sign Language, was not considered an actual language. It was ridiculed and made fun of and, and, and all kinds of, of horrible things from the power majority. So this is kind of like a, a back and forth kind of topic. So there's, there's two different things that actually happened with deaf children as a result of having hearing parents. Some of the kids were treated horribly. They had no communication. They had no education. They had no skills. They were, they were treated very bad historically. So the government came in and mandated that deaf kids went to deaf schools. Now for some deaf kids, this was great because they were not getting any kind of education. They weren't getting any kind of care. They were being treated poorly. They were being abused and things like that. But what people don't understand is that parents would have somebody bring their kids and drop them off at a deaf school. They would drop them off themselves. And because they didn't have any language to the child, the child had no idea what was going on. So all they knew is they were going on a trip somewhere with somebody. And then all of a sudden that person wasn't there anymore. And then they were left at this school. So they were abandoned. And most oftentimes as very, very young children. So they had no idea what was going on, no way of communicating with anybody. And then they ended up meeting all of these other people that were like them that couldn't hear or talk either. And these new schools became their home and became their families. The problem is, is that in order for them to become their families, they had to be abandoned and lost first. And this is a huge, huge part of the evolution of deaf culture. And so these deaf schools, the institutions, which has a very negative connotation in the hearing world, an institution is not something that somebody wants to go to if you are a hearing person. But if you are in a deaf culture and you talk about how you went to a certain deaf school, which is known as an institution because it's a place, right? The word, what does institution mean? It's a it's a location. It's, and then there's different things that happen there, like teaching, staying, learning, you know, whatever. It does kind of evoke a concept of being captive though, for me at least. In, in a deaf culture, there's amazing pride that comes along with being able to know and to express how you went to a certain deaf school. And because there's a huge camaraderie and a huge sense of family because those people united once they started being able to communicate with each other, it opened up a whole new world for them. And so in deaf culture, all you have to do is use the acronyms, but that's completely missing in a hearing culture. So those kinds of things have to be discussed. If it's actually pertinent to what is being said and represented in that conversation, but if the only thing that's necessary to point out is the name of the school, well then rather than using the acronym for it, you would say the full name of whatever the school is. So depending on what it is that's actually being discussed, then you would have to explain the maybe or maybe not all the background information, right? So that's very important so that way people don't get misunderstood or offended. And like one thing, for example, something in one community could be extremely, extremely offensive to a different community. One community could highly prize something. And so that is very, very important for them. However, a different culture doesn't understand that prizing, you know, that celebration of a certain thing, a concept, a word, whatever, and they might be offended by it. Or somebody who's an outsider, somebody who's foreign, somebody who wasn't part of that community being raised like the way that they were would be offended if somebody else tried to say something about it because they weren't part of their community, they weren't part of their tribe, they weren't part of their social network to be able to have the connection of whatever that concept is. So for example, people that are hearing think it's extremely appropriate and politically correct and least offensive or not offensive at all, you know, depending on how they look at that, to be able to say hearing impaired, right? That's supposed to be appropriate. Well, for somebody that's deaf, unless they actually used to be hearing and now they're not anymore, you just told somebody that they were impaired, that there's something wrong with them, that they're broken, that who they are is not functional. It's not good. It's a judgment call. Talking about somebody saying that they're hearing impaired is a judgment call. It's not up to you to say that somebody's impaired. What's who are you to be able to determine the functionality of somebody else? Like it's not up to you to decide that and to be able to tell a deaf person that they're hearing impaired. No, they don't hear. They just don't hear. It's that simple. There's no judgment there. They don't hear.
hear, that's an observation. Saying that somebody doesn't hear is an observation. Saying that somebody is hearing impaired is a judgment because it implies that the norm is supposed to be to hear. Well, somebody who is born deaf, their norm is not to hear. Their norm is specifically to not hear because they don't hear. So their complete and totality of who they are is to not hear. So that's something to consider. Most people that hear think that, oh my gosh, you can't hear. We need to fix that. We need to be able to make you hear. Well, I mean, quite honestly, sometimes it would be really nice to not be able to hear because you ever heard that high-pitched voice that just annoys the crap out of you? That really high-pitched sound that you just can't stop? Or people who sing off-key? No judgment there, just an observation. But I mean, my ears, that causes a disruption to my system. And so it's difficult to deal with. Certain voices, certain tones, sometimes it would be really nice to not be able to hear those. I mean, that's why we mute things, right? Is to be able to create the opportunity for lack of being able to hear something. For some people, that's just their norm. That's fine. And that doesn't mean that they're impaired. It doesn't mean they're broken. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. It means that their norm is different than your norm is. And I mean, I I don't know that, and maybe there is, but consider the possibility that in a deaf culture, they call people that hear deaf impaired, you know? I mean, does that, you know, you see where I'm coming from? You, You see the different perspectives? So cultural remediation is necessary because there are a lot of emotions attached to words and concepts and appropriateness and what one culture would would say is acceptable or hurtful or whatever. And so whenever there's the possibility of groups of people coming together because we do have the internet and we do have travel and we do have communication across communities and within different people and even just from one family to the next door neighbor, you can have completely different concepts of cultural norm and the way that people behave. So then it's, it's, it's extremely imperative to be able to make sure that everybody's on the same page to be able to have that interpreter who can say, oh, hold on a second, pause, let's take a time out. Let's look at the situation when something happens, when there's that gear that's loose, when there's a disruption, when there's a dysfunction that somebody can say, okay, hold on a second. This is what this community is saying. This is what this community is saying. And to be able to do that cultural remediation to put everybody on the same page so that way everybody understands the meaning behind the message instead of jumping to conclusions based on what certain words mean in certain cultures because it's going cross-cultural. And so this class that I went to over a weekend, that's exactly what happened. And when I was in that class and I witnessed something that the speaker had said that was completely not appropriate for the culture of the audience, I could see that cultural remediation was necessary. However, because of the location of where it was and my history of advocating and standing out and being able to be the one that's aware of recognizing the root problem behind things instead of just pointing fingers at the loose gear, I had a history of not being allowed to be able to stand up and be able to say something because of all the the pains and the problems that I was subjected to. Essentially, what I believe needed to be said that because of my history and my past and my fear in being able to know how to say what was going on because I am the interpreter, but because of me being the gear, I've been viewed as the disruption. I've been viewed as the problem. I've been viewed as the thing that needs to be thrown out and swapped with something with a new part. And that's not the way to control the situation and resolve the problem because whether I'm there or not, the problem is going to continue because the problem is upstream. The problem is a lack of cultural remediation. And keep in mind, I was an audience member. I came to witness a class. I came to take part of a class. I showed up that day as a student. Do you have any idea how many times I've been attacked for challenging the speaker by pointing out something that they said and trying to educate them publicly? Way too many. Do you have any idea how many times I've been yelled at, who are you? Who are you to say anything? When I was advocating for somebody, when I was speaking up for somebody, giving a voice for somebody else, 
being attacked who wasn't capable of having a voice for themselves in the moment way too many times. Or how many times I've been told, wait a minute, you are not in charge. You are not the authority. Why do you think you're allowed to speak right now? Yeah, too many times. And moving forward to be presented in the same exact situation, I don't know if I would respond the same way or not. However, things are changing and technology is advancing and we're moving more globally into a community where people are not going to be able to continue to function without an ability to understand and communicate in such a way that is isolated without being able to recognize the differences across cultures. And so essentially, people are going to soon be aware and able to recognize that the gear isn't the problem. The gear is the symptom that is indicative of a problem. And so whenever there's a disruption, whenever there's a symptom, whenever there's something screaming that there's something wrong, please pay attention to that and then use that to go back in time to look up the line to see where the problem occurred in a social situation. It's going to be based on understandings and words that were used to be able to describe certain situations to be able to create a conversation based on the culture and the social norms of the time. And times change, unlike a machine that just operates and it does what it's supposed to do because of the way that it was created. See, we were created not as simple machines, but as very, very complex organisms with a mind, a body, a heart, and a soul. And as we grow and adapt and we recognize cross-culturally the ways that other communities have been able to understand the same kind of concepts that we understand, we get a different perspective and a wider awareness in view of those concepts, which make us grow. That is a skill for evolution. That is what's going to move us globally. That's what's going to create a unity across this world that we can utilize the internet for. So whenever something happens that is a symptom, which is a pain to your soul, it's going to be about social interaction and acceptance of self within a community. And whenever you're dealing with multiple communities, even within the same community, cultural remediation is necessary because it's not always an attack from one side to the other. It's just a limited understanding that's different than yours that needs to be made apparent. Because if people can say mom and other people can say mami and other people can say madre and mutar, imagine all the different possibilities and emotions attached to other concepts that are just as dear to the heart. All right, everybody, that ends our episode for today. I hope you were able to get some helpful information to be able to live more naturally. So if you like what I had to say today and you found it beneficial or helpful, please go ahead and share. And if there's anything going on where you need to find a naturopathic doctor or for any reason you need somebody to talk to, please go ahead and call me. You can find me online at canassist.me. That's C-A-N-N-A-S-S-I-S-T dot M-E. This is Dr. Francis saying enjoy, have fun, and until next time, 